Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Remain standing as you go back. Remain standing, please. We're going we're gonna to do a confession together. Uh, Easter Sunday is one of the rare Sundays throughout the year that uh, we know that the global church is partnering in the same message. There's no different series going on. We're talking about resurrection together. And so one of the things that we get to do as, as his church is to speak truth that we believe wholeheartedly and declare it together. So what I would like to do as we, as we enter into our time in the Word this morning is I would like to do a little confession together. I'm going to read the first part, and then together as a church, I would like us to recite the final statement, Jesus is alive, He is risen. So let's read this together. Easter Sunday, from the darkness of the grave, blood poured out a crown of thorns. Jesus is alive, He is risen. From the triumph that is won over the power and fear of death, Jesus is alive, he is risen. Walking from the empty tomb, opening wide the gates of life, Jesus is alive, he is risen. Lord of life who defeated death to show that we can rise from all that binds us to the world, pride, envy, anger, fear, the sin that holds us here, Jesus is alive, he is risen. Lord of life who defeated death to demonstrate a love that is beyond our understanding, that reaches out even to me, saving grace to all who hear. Jesus is alive, he is risen. Lord of love, Lord of peace, Lord of resurrection life, be known through our lives and through your power. Jesus is alive, he is risen. You may be seated. Uh, Anthony made the invitation already this morning to recite, but the, the second piece that I want to do as we partner with the global church is every Easter, uh, if you've been in church, you've heard it said before. If you haven't, you're wondering why is everyone saying this on command. When I say he is risen, I would like you to respond, he is risen indeed. One, two, three, he is risen. Very good. Well done, everyone. Well done. Uh, if this is your first time here at City Collective, welcome. We're really glad that you're able to join us. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, we hope that this morning is one in which you encounter community. You have a sense of welcome and safety. But most importantly, that you encounter the risen Savior. This is what Easter is all about. Easter weekend is, is the story of Jesus coming to be with us. And not just to be with us, but to rescue all that we have done and seen and been through encounters the life that is Jesus himself. Since Ash Wednesday, we've been on this journey with Jesus. We have considered where our confession our, and our repentance might need to come forward. We've, we've looked at the different ways of what, in which it might look like to follow the way of Jesus, to go after a new way. What's been really exciting is that in the midst of the season of Lent that led us to this point, I've heard story upon story of the different ways in which individuals in our community have experienced the Spirit speaking to them and through them just because of their intentional walk that they have entered into. 
And then on the flip side of it, if this is your first time being in church for a long time or you've never even been to a service or you're just not sure about Jesus, this is the beauty that we're invited into. Regardless of where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we say this every week, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, Easter's more about the bunny than the tomb, it's okay. This is a good place to be. And I hope that you can find a sense of safety and discovery with us this morning. This is a day on which we celebrate. A day that we experience incredible joy with the revelation of what the resurrection truly means for us. Historians and theologians alike come to the same conclusion, regardless of what they believe, that everything changed because of this moment. That the life of Jesus had a significant impact upon human history, more so than perhaps any other. Faith does not is not a requirement for us to actually come to that conclusion. The facts tell us this much. For, for all my life, uh, I've grown up in going to church on Easter, bunnies, Easter egg hunts, big crosses, big flowers, big joyous tones to the morning, usually a busy building, and likely my most formal outfit. This is not a normal Sunday getup for me, but uh, it's, it's Easter, so you got to throw a jacket on every once in a while. Uh, old habits die hard. Th this is a big day. And like I said, it, it is a significant moment in human history, and there are some facts for us to pay attention to. First of all, we know that this was the start of a new week. This is significant. It's the culminative moment of the Gospels. And like any good writer, our novelists throughout the Gospels, they pay attention to the big reveal that takes place right here. Jesus has made claims throughout his life that would lead his followers to believe that this claim of resurrection is true despite them not really expecting it. This moment is a death-defying, grave-defeating, fear-destroying day that the world has longed for. You and I have longed for in our moments of despair. It's a day which moves simply a good life to a life of eternal consequence. Every other event in history is now pivoted around Jesus. And I'm not just saying that for, for gravity's sake. We quite literally changed our, our dating system to be B.C. and A.D. Even your birthday pivots around Jesus. This is a significant moment. Whether you believe or not, it has shaped the world. But as followers of Jesus, I think we're invited to do more than simply recognize the moment. I think that there is an opportunity before us that we can sometimes fumble. This is meant to be an incredible celebration. And to your right, he says this. He says, Easter ought to be an eight-day festival 
with champagne served after morning prayer or even before. This is an Anglican talking. Uh, with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems, it's any wonder people find it hard to believe in the resurrection of Jesus if we don't throw our hats in the air. It is any wonder the world doesn't take much notice if Easter is celebrated as simply the one-day happy ending tacked on to 40 days of fasting and gloom. Life still has its burdens, its struggles, and I think there is a hesitation when it comes to the resurrection. And I can relate to that feeling that if anything, I've had moments where the idea of resurrection can feel out of touch or irrelevant. And maybe you can relate to that. Resurrection doesn't go through your normal everyday routine or vernacular or experience. Therefore, Sunday feels like a one-off and therefore it's not really all that consequential. Evidence for the resurrection abounds, whether it is in the Bible itself or it's in historical documents. Cultural misnomers, deeply held conviction, first-hand accounts, political implications, all of which are important aspects of our interaction with the resurrection. And it should be encouraging to hear those things, but many of us, if not all of us, the resurrection... the. Our issue with the resurrection is not its feeling of impossibility, but I think more of its feeling of irrelevance. That it seems out of touch. And it's interesting because John, the gospel that we heard earlier that Caitlin read, crafts a narrative not to just convince the reader of its validity, but more to speak to its impact. He's stating this question, what does the resurrection do and how does it do it? I wonder, because if you feel like Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is irrelevant or out of touch or you felt like that way before, I wonder if Good Friday feels more up your alley. Because here's the thing, in our human experience, we get suffering and we get pain. If you're here this morning and you're in a great season, wonderful. Embrace it. Receive it. But the reality is, at some point in our journey of life, we encounter that which we wish we did not. We get that side of life. And instinctively, we seem to resonate with Good Friday that in order to do something good, something incredibly hard has to take place. But I wonder if we have forgotten the manner in which Resurrection Sunday started, that we've written off the resurrection because we don't think it is relevant to us, and we don't look at that first line that we heard this morning. That the resurrection might have been taking place. That it might have already emptied the tomb. That Jesus was no longer there. But the first thing that we hear and we see in our passage this morning is that Mary was weeping at the tomb. Resurrection Sunday begins with tears. And maybe we get a little blinded sometimes. 
And we see the flowers and we see the smiles and we see the pastor wearing a suit for once and we think to ourselves, now this is just a celebration, but my life is not that way. I'm here to tell you that the resurrection started with tears. And the beauty of that is that we can experience the reality of life and still place our hope in the resurrection. That the resurrection still comes to us in the midst of it. In John chapter 20, the reading we heard from Caitlin earlier, we find Mary outside the tomb crying, and we might hold the end in mind for us when it comes to Easter, but for those who were present in that time, remember, Jesus was gone. In that scene on Easter morning, I think that we can see some different ways in which the resurrection truly does change everything. There are four ideas from that text in John 20 that I want to highlight. The resurrection begins with tears. The resurrection was hard to see. The resurrection came in a personal way, and the resurrection goes back to where it began. And the first idea of the tears were shed at the resurrection we read in verse 11 that Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Let's remember that this moment for Mary was likely a buildup of emotion over a few days. Good Friday wasn't that long before, and Holy Saturday was an in-between moment where there was just silence. And pain and sorrow and, and likely a sense of regret in the midst of it all. Think about this with me. This is, as so far as we know, perhaps the only day in the last 2,000 years when literally not one person in the world believed Jesus was alive was that Saturday. There was no hope. There was no body that they expected to survive what had taken place on Good Friday. And they buried it. The Messiah was dead. And not only was the Messiah dead, but so were their hopes and their dreams for a better tomorrow that came with him. They knew the feeling that we all experience at one point or another. I heard John Ortberg say this, that Holy Saturday was the day you woke up and you realized that your dreams are over. We have all been in that moment. And that's where Mary finds herself. No wonder tears are her response. How could I be so wrong? How did I miss all of the signs? And she starts playing out all the different scenarios in her mind. She mourns the unfairness of it all, the brokenness of the world. And she just doesn't know how to fix it anymore. I thought he was the one. It feels like every tear being shed points to the insufficiency of the world. I think that our aversion to the idea of resurrection can often be founded with our inherent feeling that it is simply unrealistic optimism. There was this idea that became associated with the resurrection that really came forward later in the fourth century, which said that a resurrected victorious life should be free of stress and strife, of pain, of tears, of sickness. It should be flush with cash, full of friends, and full of life's comforts. Only the best. 
They seem to go in alignment with Christianity becoming politicized and accepted by the Roman Empire. And no longer was it a bad thing to be a Christian, but it actually was a, an association that came with some benefits. And the idea of the resurrection began to shift. The problem is that the idea of a resurrection that is cloud nine with babies and puppies that are already trained, be clear about that, <laughs> is quite different than the teachings of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. To participate in the resurrection of Jesus was to participate in his sufferings. This is a very different idea than one that became popularized and in many sense has become the way we approach the resurrection. Inevitably, we are tripped up in our life. But the resurrection isn't the result of unrealistic optimism. It begins in the tears of reality. Before we can revel in the celebration of the resurrection, we need to remind ourselves that death comes first. The tomb might have been empty, but Mary's tears still happened. And there is the death of what was, which is the only way for us to move into the life of what can be. The second idea is the resurrection was hard to see. And in in the following verse, it says that they, Mary makes a statement, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. One of my favorite moments of marriage is when I go looking for something that my wife has asked me to look for, and I don't find it, and it was actually quite evidently there. Um, yeah, it's a top three moment right there. It happens all the time. <laughs> and it, maybe you've had that moment where you go and look for something and you're expecting it to be someplace, looking some way, and you're looking right at it, but you can't register that's what it was. In many ways, that's what was taking place for Mary. Because here's the thing. It's hard to see something when it looks different than what you expected. The last way in which Mary has seen Jesus is beaten to a pulp on the cross. And she wasn't really expecting the resurrection despite the teachings and words of Jesus. And even when she saw Jesus right in front of her, she could not recognize him. You can hear the confusion in Mary's voice. Mary's heart is longing for the very one who approached her. And here's the thing. The resurrection doesn't look like what she expects. And I think the same is true for each of us. Resurrection doesn't always look like the way we expect. I can't, I can't overstate this enough. When resurrection finds you, it will not be generic. Easter can feel so distant, so big, and so beautiful, but it feels so long ago and so far away sometimes. And the thing is, sometimes when we look at the resurrection, we're like Mary. Mary is face to face with Jesus resurrected and still doesn't recognize it. Why didn't she recognize him? Well, we can ask the same question of ourselves when we're longing for resurrection in our own lives. Maybe, maybe her eyes were filled with tears and she couldn't see past it. 
But for ourselves, it's hard to see resurrection when grief is overwhelming and it can be all that we can see. It's hard to see past hope when grief is right in front of us. Maybe the morning light was still a little bit dim and dark in the garden. Well, maybe our vision of the world around us is still caught up in the situation we're in. And it feels so dark around us that we can't even imagine a light beyond it. And maybe Jesus just looked different than she expected. And here's where we often fall short, I think. That we are creatures of habit, that we sometimes model the person of Jesus into our own liking. And when Jesus presents himself as a resurrected being, as that which is beyond our current experience, of that which is outside of our current imagination, we don't recognize the resurrection right in front of us. Just because Jesus doesn't look like the way you expected doesn't mean he doesn't show up in your life. Just because we can't see Jesus in a moment doesn't mean he isn't there. Just because we don't feel the resurrection in the moment doesn't mean it isn't taking place. The way I expect God to work and the way I see God work are two very different things. So often we are tempted to believe that the manner in which the world operates, the strengths that we see elevated, brilliant strategy, irresistible charisma, strength, and IQ, that that is the manner in which something incredible like the resurrection will take place. But the reality of the story of Jesus is that the reality of the resurrection is that failure, defeat, humiliation, suffering, and death was in the story of Jesus before resurrection came came forward. There might be tears at the beginning, grief can be overwhelming, and our expectations of resurrection are narrow, but here's the thing in the midst of it all. Those things were taking place for Mary, but Jesus still came to meet her. And just like it is true for her, I believe it's true for us. Here's the thing about Easter, it comes around every year. And it's not like we can game plan that our Easter week, we're going to make sure nothing bad happens. Everything is going to go perfectly. The truth is, one Easter might be significantly worse than another. There might be tears, there might be grief, there might be confusion and a sense of being lost and broken, but the beauty of it is that no matter where we might find ourselves, Christ comes to us. And he just doesn't approach Mary. The third idea is that the resurrection came in a very personal way. Jesus responded to Mary and he says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell him where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to Mary, as said to her, Mary. Dale Bruner says that that is the shortest sermon in the Bible. Calls her by name. In the narrative of the gospel story, resurrection only begins to make sense when it becomes personal. 
Because here's the thing, death isn't generic. And your pain and my pain isn't interchangeable. Your brokenness and, and my brokenness, your sin and my sin, the baggage that we carry, this is, this is the moment of resurrection for Mary. And that's why the resurrected Christ calls her name. The resurrection comes to be her resurrection when she realizes that the resurrection was for her. What does it mean for you and me to read this story of Easter and hear Jesus call my name in the midst of my pain? That with the call of my name, that when I, when I close my eyes and I pause my life and I try and block out all the sound and I listen to what the Spirit might be saying and I would maybe just hear that simple small voice just say my name, what would it do in the midst of my pain? It would break through the pain and bring the joy that my heart longs for. Because that's what takes place for Mary. It doesn't go through a long dialogue explaining all the emotions she went through in that moment. She hears her name and then she runs to Jesus. It's pain to joy in the blink of an eye when the resurrection didn't just be an idea that Jesus preached about and talked about, but the resurrection became personal. With the call of each of our names, he meets us in the midst of our tears, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our lives, and he offers himself the way, the truth, and new life. Somehow, when you hear your name on the lips of the living Christ, bringing breath and hope and life, it transforms your heart. And here's the thing, I promise you, the resurrection isn't about waiting till you're dead. I don't know about you, but every single day I encounter moments where it feels like things die. A friendship. A value, a dream. Perhaps a, a, a loved one or an association that I was hoping to hold on to a little bit longer. Every day, it feels like things die around me because of the reality of the world in which we live. But the promise of the resurrection is that new life enters into our story each and every day. Life, renewal, and hope they come from facing into our darkest, most broken moments and refusing to give in to despair and instead looking up at the gardener who is it calling our name. And the beautiful thing is that it's, it's this gardener. And this is the fourth idea that we see in the text. The, the resurrection starts where it began, thinking he was the gardener. Why did Mary think he was a gardener? Well, we know that Jesus' tomb was actually in a garden. Where they buried him was in a garden. And where else do we see a garden in, in the biblical narrative? Well, the Bible starts in the garden. And we see the way that Jesus has not just come to bring new life, but to renew all things. Because in the garden, 
At the beginning of the story, God creates a human being in his own image. And he sets him in the garden to care for it, to bring life out of it. And the first man, Adam, which is translated as first man, is a gardener. But in that garden, all is lost. And sin and brokenness become the story of the human race. But what first Adam loses in the garden, the second Adam in Jesus recovers in the garden. The garden where humanity gave itself over to death is now the place where Jesus brings new life. The gardener who is searching for us in the garden never stopped pursuing us. And the purpose of the gardener which was given to humanity is now taken up by Jesus. The very place which was intended to bury him became the place that planted him. Because he was buried in a garden. And when you bury something in a garden, what are you doing? You're planting it. And what's a burial? A burial is an end, but what's planting something? Planting is a beginning. New life doesn't just happen. It requires a seed. It requires something to be put into the ground, something that produces new life. Gold can't do it. Good intentions can't do it. Something must be buried that can break through the dirt of death with the possibility of new life. John 12, verses 20 to 26, Jesus says this to his followers before his death. He says, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There was a grain of wheat which fell into the earth, which died for you and for I. It is this way spiritually, it's this way for you and for me that if we're willing to let go of ourselves of our pride of our envy of our hatred of our of our anger towards others and we acknowledge our powerlessness to God and we come into a fellowship of believers of followers of Jesus then there is life and hope on the other side if not Death is the end, but Jesus, our pioneer, our savior, our leader, he sacrifices his life and he shows us the way. He overcomes death on the cross itself and he says it is finished. And he goes into the ground and out of the ground he comes with new life. And the good thing is, is that Jesus is a good gardener who begins to care for all the seeds in the garden that he wants to see new life be burst out of. They might have put him in the tomb and they thought that he was going to stay there, but they were wrong. Sometimes the very thing that which was meant to kill you can be the very thing that is used to plant you. He was meant to be buried, but he was planted. And here's the thing about burial and planting externally. The circumstances look the same. It's dark. It's beaten down. It's covered over. They look exactly the same to be buried and to be planted. You dig a hole in the cold, hard earth and you throw an object in there and you cover it in dirt and you leave it alone in the darkness. And we've been there, alone in the darkness. This is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. That I had plans and dreams, but then I got covered up and beaten down. This looks like death, but here, this, here's the thing. God sees something else. 
The first seed raised by God in the garden of the resurrection became the gardener. And when Mary Magdalene supposed him to be the gardener, she was exactly right. Jesus is now the gardener of the resurrection, cultivating new life in all who believe. Isaiah 55, 13 says, Instead of the thorn bush shall come up the juniper. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Revelation 22, verses 2 and 3 says, On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be there anymore. Jesus is the gardener. A gardener cultivating resurrection life in all who come to him. And a gardener's work is this. It's earthy and it's intimate. Gardeners have their hands in the dirt. Gardeners handle living things with living hands. And Jesus is not afraid to get his hands in the dirt. And sometimes we don't expect him to come into the places where we find ourselves. But the reality is resurrection and new life comes out of the most unexpected of places. In our pain, in our lament, in our betrayal, our failure, our anxiety, all of it. I promise you that your life is not so messed up that Jesus can't nurture you into a flourishing, flourishing state. Maybe you came to church on Easter Sunday and you're struggling to believe in resurrection. You get the story. Maybe you've heard the, the arguments. And maybe you're like, okay, if there is a God, I can trust that life might come out of it. I, I can get behind that. I think sometimes our biggest battle with Easter isn't whether or not God could bring Jesus back. It's whether we believe God could bring life into the spaces that we believe are dead. Resurrection comes from death, darkness, and pain. But it comes when we face it, own it, and refuse to allow it to end us. And the moment we truly face it, we might hear God speaking our name. Easter is this beautiful story. Worship team, you can join me at the front. That culminates on Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. And, and the good news for you and me is that in all the ways that we fall short, in all the ways that we might have missed the mark, Jesus came took upon himself all of the sin and brokenness of the world, and he went willingly to the cross. The cross, he died a horrible death, an undeserved, unfair punishment that brought him to the point of death. And then he entered death itself, and he overcame it. And the good news is that death was overcome because the life was found three days later. Life is what burst out of that tomb. A new way, the truth, and a new life that we find in Jesus. And that is the invitation for us today and every single day. That we might live as resurrection people in new life. Facing each day with the hope and possibility that death does not get the final word. That my pain does not overcome me. That my grief is not overwhelming. But in fact, I look to the one who calls my name and brings me hope in a way that I could have never imagined. And the only thing that he says to us is place your trust in me.
I have come so that you might have life and life abundantly. I have come to be in relationship with you. Jesus didn't come back so he could ascend to the right hand of the Father and just hang out there and feel good about it. He came so he could be in relationship with you and I. And what is a relationship if not trust on both sides? He's offered it to you this morning and he's asking, would you place your trust in me? Maybe for the first time, maybe you feel like you've walked away and that you have not even considered Jesus in your story for so long. The invitation remains the same for you. He does not look at you in your pain, your despair, does not look at you in the way that you have maybe done things or talked about things or walked away. He looks at you with eyes full of love saying, just trust me. Believe in me and receive the new life that I have for you. Would you uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? As we, as we close our time together, I want to just provide an invitation to, to all of us here. Maybe you've never heard the gospel story before that Jesus came into the world to be with us, to live as one of us, to experience the brokenness of the world that we see every single day. But he did not fall to the brokenness of it. Every single day of his life, he overcame it. And he made this invitation to his followers to, to a new way, to a better way, to a kingdom way. And it looked different than what they expected. It took Jesus into the city that was ready to reject him to a cross that was going to crucify him, to a tomb that was meant to hold him. But the story of life didn't end on Good Friday, but in fact it burst out of that tomb on Easter Sunday. And just as Jesus came out of that tomb full of new life, he offers that to you and to me. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you are past the point of new life in your own story. You feel death in all the different spaces. And in your very soul, you just, you feel broken. And you're longing for something more. Maybe you feel just a tug on your heart this morning. My offer to you is, would you place your trust in the one who calls your name? In the good gardener who has placed new life in the seed that is your life. And this moment, perhaps, is, is like your life is the seed underneath the brokenness of death and suffering. And light's starting to break through that ground. And you're clawing after it. And he's just saying, reach for me, I'm coming for you. I came for you, never stopped pursuing you. This is the beauty of following the one that is named Jesus. So Heavenly Father, we offer to you today, every single person here, wherever they find themselves on the journey of faith, I pray that we leave this place with a sense of new life. That the struggle of our stories does not overwhelm us. That the darkness of our world does not blind us. But in fact, the resurrection, the celebration of it that we experience today would just burst out of us. For those who are feeling that tug on their hearts, I just, I just pray that your spirit would meet them. 
maybe they just pray that small prayer. Jesus, I trust you. I want to know you. I need you. Forgive me for all that I have done. I want to follow you. Thank you for the gift of new life. May it be our story today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.